I don't know why this is the case, but I've typically found myself working, supervising, or working alongside kids <laughs> who are coming out of high school, out of college, in their 20s, in those kind of wandering developmental years. And even though we're usually only 10 to 15 years apart, I feel like we are generations apart because I feel very old school in you show up, you keep your head down, your nose clean, you work hard, you work your way up the ladder and into promotion, and you go home at the end of the day, and then you show up the next day. <laughs> and with the young people I've worked with, I've found a sense of entitlement, I've found a lack of reliability, like that whole part of just showing up every day has been challenging, and a lot of apathy. Like it feels a lot of times like they just don't care. However, I've also seen some of the most talented and skilled people and confident that I've worked with. And so I actually ended up reading a book about managing millennials because I was like, I have to figure this out because after banging my head against a brick wall over and over again, I finally had to accept that I have to change, that I have to change some of my own perspectives and even opinions of how things should be. Otherwise, I am going to keep bruising my head. And this is probably the most difficult part of aging is what I've found, is learning how to change and adapt and get along with kids these days. <laughs> And so one of the main changes from an employment perspective is with millennials and younger a younger workforce, we actually have to accept the fact that there is less loyalty. So we have to get better at attracting good talent, onboarding, training, getting them up to speed, and then doing it all over again. So we just have to put good systems and mechanisms in place to keep that engine running. This was a very, very difficult mindset shift for me to make. And so I use this example of the workforce to discuss how we are going to share the gospel with today's young people. I recently saw the movie Jesus Revolution. It's in theaters now. I highly recommend it. You can check out my YouTube review of it. I'll link to it here. Uh, I highly recommend it. But what you see, it's, it's set back in the 70s, back in the Jesus people days, and also the hippie days. And you would see the older generation saying, kids these days. And I find myself today being like, kids these days. The opportunity, however, right in front of us is massive. And I also want us to feel hopeful because just like the Holy Spirit did an amazing work back in the 70s, and there was a movement that swept across the country, and thousands and thousands of young people were saved. He is more than capable of doing that again today. However, we also can position ourselves to be part of it. We can bridge the gap. And I know for a lot of us, it feels like we are generations and generations and light years apart. However, today I'm going to share five tips with you for reaching the next generation that I feel like are super practical and that we can do and feel really good about it. I think they're actually really logical when we just outline them and give some examples. And the last thing I'll say before we dive into them is I want us to feel hopeful because yes, this is our first unchurched generation. And yes, history, we are in the midst of a historical shift going from a Judeo-Christian 
worldview that's largely accepted, especially in the United States, to what is being called neo-paganism and other things that don't sound very good, that sound make us feel fearful. However, those who did not grow up in the church actually have an easier time accepting Christ as an adult. If someone grows up in the church and falls away, it's actually harder for them to come back to the faith. And so our young people today, the good news is they don't have some of the church baggage and they don't, or wrong beliefs or things that make it difficult to receive Christ, but they do have a hunger for authenticity. They are incredibly sharp and ingenuitive, well-resourced. So we can, we can adjust. We can be the ones who change and we can help reach this next generation for Christ. Really quickly, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Trades of Hope. I am so proud of this partnership because we're helping women around the world break free from poverty and earn a fair wage for their family. And they make the most beautiful handcrafted jewelry, handbags, and home decor. Right now, you'll receive a free gift with your purchase of $75 or more. So thank you so much for your support of this podcast and women around the world when you shop Trades of Hope. Find the link in the show notes or in the description below. Okay, so I'm going to share five tips with you. They're from a resource from the Gospel Coalition, so I'll link to that below. And again, I think these are wonderful. Number one, move from the assumption that your audience is biblically literate. One of my favorite lead-in conversations or questions to find out where someone is in their faith is to ask them, so did you grow up going to church? It's super safe because it's just asking about their behavior as a young person. It's not asking about their current belief system. And I feel like that opens up the door for conversation. Now, I think I can still use it because even if the answer is like, of course not, at least we're opening up the door. But it amazes me that that used to be something that we could take for granted, that they at least grew up even around a faith tradition or at a minimum, maybe going to a vacation Bible school. Now, though, when we approach faith conversations, we can't even assume that young people know who Adam and Eve are, or they may have never even heard of Jesus. And this can feel challenging because how do you explain the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus? It's hard, right? But there's ways. And Paul actually gave us a really good example in Acts 17. He went from the synagogue where he was speaking to an extremely religious group of people who had an astounding Bible or scripture literacy. And so he would reason to them in terms of biblical narrative and history. And he could appeal to them about the coming Messiah that they were expecting. But then when he went to the Athenians and he was talking to the Greeks, he actually was able to shift methods and talk to them in terms of their philosophy and their multitude of gods. So this is Acts 17, 24. Paul is reasoning with the Greeks and he said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And so he saw there are many gods and many temples, and he even saw that there were multiple that were dedicated to the unknown God. And so he decides to reason with them that our God and Jesus is the unknown God that they've been worshiping all along. And so it continues in verse 25, and he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so we see here that Paul is actually taking them through a logical journey based on their own belief system. He is saying, one, God is not made, but he is the maker. Number two, God has guided history. Number three, God has made man in such a way that instinctively he longs for God. And this is true. This is so true of our young people today. And so this is a really important thing to keep in mind. There is, as we would say, that God-shaped hole inside of everybody. There is a natural longing for something bigger and for their creator. And then he says, the days of groping around are past, but he does end with the day of judgment is coming. And so he speaks to them in their terms. Now, this can feel intimidating because you're like, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a current philosophy of all the different you know, all of the different belief systems that are being presented today. So what do I do? Again, this younger generation craves authenticity. And so one of the most simplest ways that we can share the gospel is we can share our story. We can say, before God, before Jesus, I was. Then I met him and made him Lord of my life. And now I am. For me, before, I was so lonely and I was so lost in terms of my purpose. Then I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And now I have such a deep connection with other Christians, but also with the Lord himself. And I feel such peace about my future, knowing that he's guiding me. And so you can see how that can appeal to the next generation when we're sharing our story and the goodness of God in our lives. Number two, this I think actually crosses generations. I think all of us are craving this right now, but especially with our young people, move from apologetics to hospitality. So if we can make space, it's twofold. We have to make space in our schedule and then we have to make space in our home for young people to come in, to, to let their guard down, to be at home we can do an amazing work. When I was in those years in college and then after college, I really think of them as the wandering years in my life. You know, I was I was working in Christian radio and I loved what I was doing, but it was so hard to find good friends and maintain those relationships. So when I would have adults, either through my campus ministry uh, or through my church small groups who would invite me into their home, that was always such an anchor point in my week and something that I looked for to, but it was also an amazing anchor in my life. And so if we can find a way to open up our homes, or maybe it's a coffee shop, or uh, if we meet at our church, somewhere creating that safe and consistent space for the next generation, I think we'll be amazed. We may feel like we're not cool enough, we're not smart enough, we don't have all the answers, but the opportunity is to go on that journey together. Every answer you can find on your phone right now. You don't have to feel outclassed here. But if you can go on that journey together of growing and discerning truth and being led by the Holy Spirit, then I think you will find a richness for both of us and especially for the next generation. 
We're gonna get right back to the conversation, but I wanna take 30 seconds to tell you about my small group. It's a private membership community where like-minded women like me and you get together to study the Bible, pray, and grow in godly living. So if you've been looking for a group of like-minded women where we can grow in our faith together and encourage each other on, I wanna invite you to join us. We have our very own app where we can check in throughout the week. I pop in most days and say hello, and we can have private one-to-one conversations Plus, every Saturday morning, we get together live for guided Bible study or prayer. If this is your season to grow in your faith with other awesome women, I want to invite you to join us. Find more details in the show notes or in the description below. Number three, this one is so important for us to understand. Move to emphasize shame before guilt. So guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Usually when we're presenting the gospel, we emphasize sin because we know that the first step is to repent from your sin and the bad things that you've done. However, this younger generation has grown up in a culture where there is no absolute truth, where everybody gets to live their own truth, where there's uh, it's, it's all an area of gray between right and wrong. And so if we try to appeal to them about the sin in their lives, that's when you'll see eyes kind of glaze over because they're like, well, I'm not sinful. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't think I did anything wrong. If you think I did something wrong, then that's your deal. However, because of the different experiences, uh, things that they've seen, things that they've been participated in, uh, messages that they've received from their peers or from their parents or others, they do tend to carry around a lot of shame, which says, I am bad. I heard it put this way one time, that shame is the cloak that we put on to let others know that we're sorry. And it was actually in reference to a group of individuals who were coming out of addiction and they knew how much pain they had caused their spouses, their families. And so they would wear this cloak of shame so that they would know that they're not good enough, that, that they are sorry, you know, that they know they need to do better. But the good news is that Jesus not only forgives us, forgives us of our sin, but he releases us from that shame. And this is such a key message for our young people today, for them to know that they're loved, that they're accepted, that they're more than enough is such an important place that we can bring them into. So certainly we're not going to water down the steps and, and the way to Christ. And we obviously all do need to repent of our sin. But if we can walk, if we can lead through the door of shame, we might make really good progress and also bring a lot of freedom to their lives. One more story actually related to that, but also which leads into our next point is I was getting my hair done and uh, the young girl who did my hair previously um, was probably a, a good 10, uh, 15 years younger than me. She lived with her boyfriend. And so, but they, I mean, were deeply committed. They were planning their wedding for like, you know, in several years when they saved up and they could plan the destination wedding that they dreamed of. And then, you know, eventually one day they would have kids. And we were talking about that one day. She knew that I worked at the church and she said, well, but it's sinful for us to live together, right? And it was interesting because I think she was expecting judgment from me. And I said, you know what? I I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you or your actions or, or your choices, but 
what my Christian faith tells me and why I care about you in this area is that those decisions can cause a lot of pain in life that there's a reason that in the Bible and in Christian faith that we talk so much about covenant. There's a reason that we have a a mutual servitude toward one another and a deep respect that comes from our faith. And that's what I want. I want the fullness of life that comes from that commitment. And so when we're talking with young people, again, a lot of the lines have become very bored and gray, but there's something in the back of their mind that tells them that there's something more. And so again, if we can emphasize you're not bad, you're not bad because you live with your boyfriend. However, what I want for you is fullness of life in every area. You might decide to change some of your choices as you draw near to this living God. And that moves into point number four, which is move to a developmental approach to ministry. So typically when we've sought to disciple a young person or any person, we just think of the spiritual realm. However, with upcoming generations, they need mentoring that helps to press Christianity Christianity into every area of their life, including their finances, their relationships, their faith, their work. And, and so that's, again, what I saw with my, my hairdresser. But also today, we are seeing such poor relational skills. In fact, recently, I did a poll on social media because I was just wondering who feels the most isolated. Research would tell you it's our young people. And so when I took my own poll, most of the older people said like, yeah, my relationships are great. I don't feel lonely. And when I asked why, they said, because we know how to be in relationship. We know how to be gracious toward each other. We know how to just show up on their doorstep when needed. And somehow, because in our whole upbringing, we just had to get along. We had to play with our friends. We couldn't go isolate and be on our phones or social media. All through our upbringing, we had to know how to get along with people. Then it also translates to not experiencing the loneliness that has become so epidemic. And so our young people, there's so many skills right now that are lacking in terms of relationships and especially this trend of ghosting where they'll just cut off communication and unfortunately I've actually seen it in my life too and it shocks me when it happens from older people Uh, but this is so painful this is so divisive this is deeply wounding to our young people, to ourselves, anybody who's experiencing it and so we get to help coach in relationship skills. And again, even culturally, culturally right now, it's like, hey, you don't really get into other people's business. But I think our young people, I've seen, again, just the ones I've worked alongside or have mentored, they're looking for better ways because they've seen the pain, they've seen the isolation and the loneliness that comes from this way of doing things. They want to know how to handle their finances. They want to know how to be effective in their work roles. And so again, sometimes we have to kind of put ourselves out there. We have to uh, be willing to risk offering input, but I do think the rewards and again, the impact that it will have for their entire life and even going out and affecting their relationships makes it worth risking it. I remember when I was working at the church, uh, the secretary was older than me and her husband's mom had passed away. And we were all pretty close. I was close to her. I knew her husband pretty well. Uh, But it really didn't occur to me that I would need to go to his mom's funeral in the middle of a work day. 
And so the day before, we were at lunch and kind of all discussing our plans for the next day. And she said, I would actually really like if you guys would come to the funeral. It would mean a lot. And so we went the next day, some of us, and there weren't very many people there. But we got to be part of that support circle. And, you know, it strengthened our relationship. It developed that bond even deeper. But it was a lasting memory for me. It was, you know, almost 10 years ago now because I just recognized, oh, there's still areas where I need to be parented or coached. Like, I don't know. And and it stuck with me to really value those moments in people's lives. And even if I don't feel like I'm a direct relative or relation or friend, but just to understand that these are moments when we can show up in a powerful way for people. And so I needed someone to coach me in that moment, but it took risk on her part to put that out there to us. And so again, it can be difficult feeling like we kind of have to put ourselves out there or, or I know I'm always balancing, okay, is this just an old school way of thinking and I need to update or is this actually a value system that I should be passing on? So we can be prayerful in that and I think we can risk stepping out more than keeping it to ourselves. All right, number five, move to winsome boldness. I love these two terms together, winsome, be loving, warm, charismatic, fun and enjoyable to be around and bold. Don't back off from your convictions. You know, in this day and age, it feels like if you have a belief, then you have to be on an island with everybody else who holds that belief. And then everybody else in the opposite corner has to be on their own island with all sorts of fighting in between. It it just feels like issues, social issues, political issues have never been more divisive. And so that could make us feel reserved in sharing our faith. However, going back to authenticity and what this younger generation is craving, they actually want to know about your convictions and they want to see your boldness. They want to hear us say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And I want you to know that some of the loneliness that you're experiencing, some of the depression and anxiety, the uncertainty about the future, even the fear, that he can handle all that. And in him, you can have peace. You can sleep like you haven't slept before. You can rest. Your mind and your heart and your emotions can be at ease and you can have lasting relationships that you didn't know was possible. Sure, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be pain. There's going to be loss. But in those storms that come with life, we all experience them. You can have a deep and abiding peace that even goes past your own understanding. And what an incredible invitation. Even some of us need that today. We need to be reminded of how good he is, how real he is, and the peace and provision that's available to us. And so today I encourage us all to be bold. You know, if it's our kids, their friends, our grandkids, neighbor kids, church kids, whatever young people, coworkers, whatever young people we have in our lives, let's pray for them. Let's start there. Let's ask the Lord to give us a heart for the young people and for this next generation. Let's ask for forgiveness for any hardness in our heart, maybe any ways that we've spoken judgments over them, like kids these days. And let's ask the Lord to give us a heart and a passion because I do truly believe that just like that work that swept across the country in the 70s, he can do an even greater work today that will go 
all the way around the world. And that will uh, begin a harvest that we have never, ever seen in human history. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are so good, that you are so loving, you are so gracious, and your plans for us and this next generation are good. So, Father, I bless our young people. I pray that you would be with them, that you would give them peace, that you would give them purpose, and, Lord, that they would have eternity with you. And, pray, I, and Lord, I pray that you would guide us, that you would give us the tools, the resources, the words, and the passion in the heart for this next generation, that we would love well, that we would serve well, that we would care deeply, and Lord, we would see each one, every young person saved. So Lord, be with us, strengthen us, guide us, and I bless each one of us now, in Jesus' name, amen.